Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, I think you should form an orderly queue to get your ticket off Simon at the end. That was a very generous offer. That was fantastic. Well, guys, great to be together. We're just going to dive straight in. Um, so if you've got a Bible, uh, would you like to turn to Colossians in chapter 1? And we're going to read there together. Really, really warm welcome to you, particularly if you're a visitor here. Thank you so much for being with us. We are uh, the second week into a series in a book uh, called Colossians in the New Testament, which was uh, originally a letter that was written by a, a man called the Apostle Paul. When he wrote this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome in about the, uh, the year AD 60. And he wrote this letter along with two other letters at the same time, uh, Ephesians and Philemon. And uh, so we're going to go through this brilliant, brilliant letter together. And I would just encourage you, as we're going through this book on Sundays, please read it yourself at home, pray it through, study it, dive into it. Um, There's a brilliant commentary by a guy called Phil Moore, which I would really encourage you to get, uh, which goes through some of the letters, really help you understand this book. It's in the bookshop. You can get it after this meeting. So um, let's dive straight in. We're going to read from verse 9 of chapter 1. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you can have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people, in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's an amazing passage right there. Why don't we just pray? Let's just thank God for what we just read. Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you so much for your spirit here right now, and we thank you for your words. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This is the word that you inspired. Lord, this is the word that's sharper than any living double-edged sword. And God, we just pray today, take your word and apply it to our lives in a way that makes us look, smell, feel more like Jesus. (laughs) Father, we, we want our lives to scream, I love Jesus. God, we want the way that we live, the way that we speak, our priorities, we want it all to say, I love Jesus. I love him. I love him. Just where you are, why don't you ask him just to do you good as we look at the word of God. Just ask him to speak to you right now. Thank you, God. Amen. Brilliant. Well, uh, I don't know if you're anything like me. When you come to read amazing passages of, of scripture like this, it can sometimes be a little hard to kind of disentangle all the kind of different lines of thought and all the kind of cool phrases and words and themes that are coming through. And particularly the Apostle Paul, when he writes, sometimes his writing can seem complicated. Anyone with me on that? Wow, only three of us. We should form a club afterwards and we'll encourage each other. Um, But sometimes... The Bible can be complicated. It's hard to understand sometimes. And Paul is a very kind of clever man. And often his, his uh, letters are written with a, a real kind of flow and argument and kind of theme in mind. And so uh, this morning, I want you to think of this passage like a, a tasty double whopper. 
Okay, we're going to put a, a slide up on the screen. It's come, there it is. It's actually a single whopper, not a double whopper, but there you go. It's all in the detail. Um, this, in this passage, there are, there's this kind of juicy center in this passage, which are these four words in red here. Paul talks about us living a, a, a life worthy of the Lord, a life that bears fruit in every way, and that everything that we, we do pleases God, and that also we're growing in the knowledge of God. He, he lists these four incredible signs of a brilliant life. And I think if I could offer you those four things, you take them at the end of this service. Well, that's what Paul is, is talking about in this passage. He's saying this is, these are the signs of a healthy, thriving, brilliant Christian life, that you're pleasing God, you're living a life worthy of Christ, that you're pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit. And then around that in this passage, we have these other four elements, which really are the ingredients that help us live that kind of life. And it's those four things that we're going to really focus on this morning. And we're going to start with continuous prayer. Because this is how Paul starts this little section in verse 9. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We ask God continually. We ask God continually. <clears throat> and it's interesting that Paul... When he's writing this letter, Paul actually had never met the believers that he's writing to. And yet he says, I pray for you continually. I've not stopped praying for you. And there was something that gripped Paul's heart so that he was a little bit like a dog with a bone and he wouldn't let go of these guys in prayer. He held on and he held on and he remembered them regularly in the place of prayer. If, if any of you have had a dog, you know that brilliant thing you can do with your little dogs, particularly where you can swing them around your head and they don't let go of that bone or that chew toy and you, know, you can fling them around they just don't let go of that thing. And Paul is saying, that that's what I'm like towards you in prayer. I continually ask God for you. I've not stopped praying for you. And so I guess the question first off is this, is what are the things in your life that you've not stopped praying for? What are the things that you ask God continually for? Who are those people? What are those things that you won't let go of in the place of prayer? Because actually perseverance, whether it's in prayer or other things in life, is an incredibly important kingdom value. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, well, one of the aspects of the kingdom of God is that it, it's about perseverance. It's about endurance. It's about keep on going. I came across this brilliant reference in John Wesley's journal. John Wesley was the guy who started the Methodist movement in an incredible revival in the 18th century in this country. And uh, he was a preacher. And I came across this brilliant, brilliant um, little article in his journal as he wrote down. And it goes like this. Sunday morning, May the 5th, Preached at St. Anne's, asked not to come back. Sunday afternoon, May the 5th, preached in St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May the 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday afternoon, May the 19th, preached, in, preached at St. Somebody Else's, which has to be the worst name for a church ever. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday morning, May the 26th, preached on the street. I was kicked off the street. Sunday afternoon, June the, Sunday morning, June the 2nd, preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. June, Sunday afternoon, June the 2nd, preached in a pasture, 10,000 came. Wow, 10,000 came. <laughs> and and the, the, the scary bit about this is, is, I think often I would have stopped on the morning of June the 2nd and not carried on. Little known that just around the corner in that pasture were 10,000 people 
about to show up to hear the gospel. Perseverance. It's an incredibly important kingdom quality, and particularly in the place of prayer. Again, I was reading about a man called George Muller, who's a, 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 a brilliant Christian man, real man of prayer. And uh, after coming to know Jesus for himself, he decided that he would pray every single day by name for five of his closest friends to come to know Jesus. And he said to God, he said, I am not going to stop praying until these five friends come to know you. And so after one month, his first friend gave his life to Christ. It took another 10 years of him praying every single day for another two of his friends to give his life, their lives to Christ. It then took a further 25 years before the fourth friend gave his life to Christ. And it would take another 52 years of him praying every single day. And actually, it was five days after his own funeral that this fifth friend gave his life to Jesus. Persevering prayer. I pray for you continually. I do not stop asking God for you. George Muller said this. He said, I look at a stonecutter hammering away at a rock a hundred times without so much as making a crack showing it. Yet at the 101st blow, it splits in two. I know it was not the one blow that did it, but all the ones that had gone before. There is incredible power in persevering, believing prayer. What are the things that you're not stopping asking God for? God loves to answer prayer. And often God does answer prayer immediately. But as many of you know, often God doesn't answer prayer immediately. Sometimes prayers are decades and decades in the making of being answered. And for some of us, we struggle with that. Because our, our view of our prayer relationship with God is a little bit like going to the arcade and putting your coin in the slot machine and cranking the handle and out comes the prize. For some of us, that can be our subconscious view of prayer of, right, I come and ask God, and if he hasn't answered within five minutes, then I'm just feeling a bit despondent and like he's not held his end of the bargain up. And, and some of us carry that subconscious view of God that he is somehow a big sugar daddy in the sky ready to give you a lollipop at the second that you ask him. Well, actually, prayer doesn't work like that. God doesn't always instantaneously answer every prayer that you give in the moment that you ask him for. And the reason is that he wants you to trust him, not to use him. <laughs> it's very easy to have a transactional view of God rather than a relational view. Transactional view of God is, is like a business relationship. I put my prayer in, you pull the answer out. Business deal. Transaction. But actually prayer is a living relationship with a father who knows best, who knows the beginning from the end, who knows the wisest point in time to bring an answer or how to bring an answer about or whether actually to say no to some of your prayers. I thank God he said no to some of my prayers. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. The Father knows best, and prayer is a, a relationship of trust with the Father who knows best. And yet so many of us give up easily because we have a misunderstanding of prayer. And something incredible happens, actually, when you give your life to persistent, believing, continuous prayer. What happens is not that God changes to be like you, but you change to be like God. Because prayer is not God conforming to your will. It's you conforming to His and when you give yourself to prayer, you find 
you just start to become like him. Your will becomes to look like his will. His desires begin to look like your desires as well. He transforms you. Oswald Chambers said this, that prayer is not a matter of changing things externally, but one of working miracles in a person's inner nature. It's beautiful. You're the one that changes when you give yourself to prayer. (laughs) You're the one that changes. And I've observed in my own life many times while I've had to repent of a wrong view of God in the place of prayer. And particularly it's when I've realized that the only time really that often I I, I can have a, a momentum or a desire to seek God in prayer are in those moments of crisis in my life. Now, praying to God in crises is incredibly important. (laughs) When we need help, actually the Bible says we approach the throne of grace and we can come to it for mercy in a time of need. It's incredibly important to call out to God in times of help and crisis. But if that's the only time that we cry out to God, I would suggest to you that something is missing. Something is not right. The truth is the church prays well in a crisis, but very poorly in prosperity. And our church, our church is a church of maybe some 750 adults, plus about a gazillion children. And yet when we call a church prayer meeting, maybe 60 of us come to pray. Something's not right about that picture. Because actually when we call prayer meetings in times of crisis... We all flood out because we understand our desperate need of him. But actually, sometimes we pray just for the sake of being with him and of being about the Father's business. Charles Spurgeon said this, The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So the prayer meeting is a graceometer. From it we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. If he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. And what I'm not saying to you is that you have to be at the prayer meeting every single time you put a prayer meeting on. Because the reality of life is we're busy, we have different priorities, different things happen in our lives. But here's the thing, if you have no desire to be with the church when they pray, something's wrong. If you don't deliberately have to make a conscious decision not to be there because of some other reason, then something's wrong. It's not that you have to be there every time, but it's a health check in your own heart of, do I long to be with the people of God when they gather to pray? Or have I become slothful in prayer? And it's a health indicator, it's a grace-ometer And sometimes it's good for us to stop and say, why don't I have a desire to pray? Because sometimes it means that there is an issue that needs healing in your own heart. Sometimes we we don't give ourselves the prayer because we've got disappointed or offended with God that he hasn't answered in the way that we hoped that he would. And so sometimes we give up too easily. The reality is in my life, there are some things that I've prayed two seconds for and God's answered. And some things I've been praying for for 20 years and God still hasn't answered. You know, I remember praying for one couple that couldn't have children. And it was right at the end of a meeting. I was leaving the meeting and they came up. She said, I'm unable to conceive. 
it'll be a medical miracle if I'm healed. Please pray for us. And literally, we just said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And then we left. And nine months later, she had her first baby. It was an absolute miracle. And it was, it was, it's, it was as instant as that. And yet the reality is I've been praying for my wife for over 20 years to be healed of a chronic back condition. She's been in bed half of this week with chronic back spasms, unable to move a lot of the week. And she's still not healed. And yet I'm going to continually ask God. I'm going to continue to hold on to him in the place of prayer. Because prayer is about trusting the Father. It's about trusting him. Secondly, here's what Paul says in this passage. He prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And Paul understands that in order to live a life that's pleasing to God, we need to know what pleases God. Okay, you want to live a fruitful life, you need to know what a fruitful life looks like to God, from God's perspective. And so Paul prays that they would be filled with a knowledge of God's will. And that, that word knowledge is the word gnosis, which means to know through personal, first-hand encounter and experience. So this is, this is not kind of just, just knowledge on a page. It's knowledge in your heart. It's knowledge in your soul. It's a, it's a knowing in here what God sees as fruitful and pleasing and delightful. Paul prays that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And there's all sorts of different aspects about God's will. For example, there is God's universal will. His will that will be forever unchanging. The things that will always be true, that God always desires, which you find in the pages of the Bible. You want to know what God desires, what pleases God? Then open the pages of the Bible and read about what He loves. And you'll find in there a blueprint of his universal will for his life. And Paul is praying, I pray you be filled up with the knowledge of his will. I heard uh, Bill Johnson preaching from uh, Matthew 10 verse 8, which is the passage where Jesus sends the disciples out and he says to them, uh, as you go, um, heal the sick, cast out demons and raise the dead. And uh, Bill Johnson says sometimes from time to time people will come to him and, and say, Bill, I just... I just want to know what God's will for my life is. What's God's will for my life? And he says, well, Matthew 10, 8, go and heal the sick. Go and cast out demons. Go and raise the dead. Preach the gospel. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't know what to do with my life. You know, should I, should I be a dentist or a doctor? He's like, well, pick one and then heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons and preach the gospel. That's God's will for you. They're like, no, no, you don't understand. Should, should, should I be single or married? I don't know. Well, what would you like to be? Well, I think I'd like to be married. Well, get married, then heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, preach the gospel. Because the truth is, you want to know what God's will for you, open the pages of the Bible and find it. You'll find God's will all through the pages of the Bible. You read that, you'll understand God's, God's will for you to live a generous life, to be kind towards outsiders, to be hospitable to those in need, to, to provide a home for widows and orphans, to, to, to give generously to others. You'll find God's will in the pages of Scripture. And I remember a little while ago where I felt God convict me about always listening to other people's view of the Bible rather than coming to God's opinion of the Bible myself. And I found that I was spending a lot of time listening to lots of preachers, but not really reading Scripture for myself. And the truth is, guys, there, there are adventures in the pages of the Bible if you will let them grab hold of your heart. I remember when I was at university in my first year, 
there was a moment in my first year at university where I was really going through a, a bleak patch and uh, some friends of, of mine, uh, we just recently got attacked by a, a youth gang in, in Newcastle. It was a very scary experience. One of my friends got very, very badly beaten up. And so I was, I was living in some fear. I was also incredibly angry about the whole thing. Then also a very, very close friend had just confided in me that they'd been sexually abused as a child. Very, very close friend. And I felt devastated. In fact, more than that, I just felt spitting mad angry. And I, I wanted blood. You, you ever felt like that? You ever come across a situation, you just, I, just, I, I want vengeance. You know, if, if I could get hold of that person right now, the things I would do to them. Those are the sort of things that were going around my head. And I was praying one day and I was reading the Bible and I just came to Job 36, 21, where I read this, where God says, beware of turning to evil, which you seem to prefer to affliction. And it was literally like God had got his hammer out and he'd gone, and I just melted. I just instantly just wept and wept and wept as I had an encounter with God's universal will for my life which is not to turn to evil. But actually, sometimes we have to embrace affliction and suffering. So there are encounters in the Bible if you will let them encounter you. There's also God's personal will, because God does also have a blueprint for your life. He has assignments for each one of you. Each one of you are particularly earmarked by God for something special, something unique, something that no other person on the planet can do. And Paul's praying that you be filled with the knowledge of that will as well, that you would know what God has for you in your life. And so many saints in the Bible had an understanding of God's assignment for them in life. Do you understand what God's assignment for your life is? Do you have a sense every day when you wake up, this is what Jesus has asked me to do with my life. And it's like a rudder that steers the whole course of my ship. Do you have that sense in your own life? Paul's praying that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul himself, who's writing this letter, had a blueprint. Quite early after he became a Christian, God said, Paul, you're going to stand before kings and rulers. You're going to go to, to non-Jewish peoples and you are going to proclaim the gospel and you are going to suffer much for my name. That was his blueprint. That was his assignment. And at the end of his life, he could retrospectively look back and say, I have not been disobedient to the vision from heaven. Acts 26. What's your assignment? What's the blueprint from God? Paul prays that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. Thirdly, Paul prays that we would understand that we are called to rely on the Spirit's power. He prays this, that through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, that the Spirit gives, Gotta understand that those qualities we read about earlier, about living a fruitful life, a pleasing life, a life worthy of the Lord, those things are not going to happen in your own strength. Those things are going to happen because God Himself has come to take up residence in your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. God has sent you a helper from heaven. God has sent you the Spirit. In John's Gospel, when it talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, it uses this word parakletos which means helper. One of the beautiful descriptions of the Holy Spirit is that he is your helper. 
He helps you where you feel weak. He helps you where you feel like, I can't do this. I can't live this kind of life. You're right, you can't. That's why you need the helper, the Holy Spirit. You need him. And it's the spirit that comes to bring transformation in our lives where we feel weak. I love the story of Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you will have heard Wendy speak about Smith Wigglesworth during the summer break. And he, uh, he was a Pentecostal pioneer in this country. Uh, he grew up with an, a, a very pronounced stammer and stutter. He couldn't read or write well into his mid-30s. And whenever he would try and preach the gospel, he would literally stammer his way through a sentence. Couldn't get through one sentence without stammering. And yet there came a point in his life where he was prayed for to be filled with the power of the Spirit. And as he returned home, he stepped up on the platform in his home church and began to preach. Suddenly he could preach eloquently with no stammer, with no stutter at all, completely cleared. And his wife recalls uh, pointing at him and, and, and whispering to a friend saying, that's not my Smith. That's not my Smith. She didn't recognize her husband because the Spirit had come to help him. And that's what the Spirit does. He's your helper. And Paul lists these incredible ways in which the Spirit helps he says the Spirit gives us wisdom and understanding. Anyone need wisdom in your life? Well, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. Do you want to know what God's saying to you and what you should do about it? That's a question of wisdom and understanding. Ask Him. Paul says also the Spirit strengthens us with power. He says the Spirit gives us endurance and patience, the ability to keep on going. Mike Pilevacher yesterday tweeted this. He said, Joseph waited 13 years. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Jesus waited 30 years. If God is making you wait, you're in very good company. You're in very good company. The Spirit helps you to keep going. Things not working out right now, keep going. God hasn't answered your prayers yet, keep going. Still need breakthrough in your life, keep going. Do not give up. And when you feel like you can't go any further, that's exactly why the Father's given you the Spirit, to help you keep going some more. And then lastly, Paul lands this passage by reminding them about who they are. He gives them a quick identity check. He says, all of this stuff, all of this description of what a, a brilliant life looks like, a worthy life, a life that's pleasing to God, a fruitful life, all of this is possible because of who you now are in Christ. And he, says, he says this in verse 13, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul ends this whole passage by reminding them that you're going to live a fruitful life, not just because of what you do, but because of who you are. You know, I have an apple tree that I completely ignore the whole year round. Like I, I, I never feed it, I never water it, I hardly look at it. And yet every year it bears fruit. Every single year at the same time of the year, there it, out it pops. It's remarkable. And it's almost like it doesn't have to think about producing fruit. And it doesn't because that's just what it does by nature. And Paul lands this passage by saying, the same is true of you. It is natural for you to live a fruitful, pleasing, worthy life that's growing in the knowledge of God. Why? <clears throat> because now you have redemption. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves. It's natural for you to bear fruit. It's abnormal for a Christian not to grow. 
You have to really deliberately sin in order to not grow. But actually, just because of who you are, because you're in Christ, you become a fruit-bearing branch because you're connected to him. Hallelujah.